Welcome to the show. Welcome to episode 131. Uh, getting close to the end of this year here, and uh, hope you all are still staying with me. And found another great conversation here. Uh, really enjoyed this one. Uh, really, really fun girl. Uh, really traumatic story, but she's so strong, and I appreciate just her telling it and being so brave. And I, I should say that about every guest that comes on, honestly, because. Sometimes you forget how much personal things you put out there. I do it so much and so often, so frequent, that I'm just like, ah, it's easy to talk about this stuff. But it, it's really not, because I forget for where I was in the beginning and how much it wore me down. Um, but it's so powerful to share your story and to try to help others, because there are so many, ver- you know, so many people that are just like you or very similar to your case and, and are, are struggling. So, um, you know, so everybody keep your head up. And like I said, I hope... This podcast helps somebody out there, whether it's this episode or, or another. I just hope any of them just catch on and just help someone because that's all I care about. I really do. Yes, I want to make a little money from it. Yes, I want to quit the job I have and all that. And sure, there's there's other little ulterior motives, but really, my main goal is to really help people because I don't want anyone to go through the things that I went through or, or going through the things a lot of the guests have gone through. Um, so like I said, keep your head up guys. I hope you enjoy this story. Um, uh, yeah, she's a fighter and I I love people who are just fighting and, and just won't take no for an answer and they just don't give up. And I appreciate that more than anything. I really, really love and respect it. So, um, please, uh, you know, let's get into our next guest and, uh, we'll, we will talk at the end of the show guys. All right. Bye-bye. guys here again uh another great guest again pod match i always try to shout them out because it's it really is a great tool um there's a lot of other programs or a lot of other sites out there but pod match is one of the only ones that's actually free even though there's a premium to it but it, it's it's the easiest one to use i've used a bunch of other ones but i don't know the, the array of characters in this it's, it's amazing how many great people you can find as you know people i've met and uh, we found another great guest, and we've been talking off air, so I'll let her share her story. So you wanted to, um, s- you know, say your name and a little about yourself? Sure. Um, Agape Garcia, and I was born and raised in Chicago. And <clears throat> what I'm here to share today, um, a lot of what happens when you neglect your mindset, and I've gone through so much childhood trauma, teenage trauma, adulthood trauma, that I I feel far from a trauma expert. However, I've definitely sought out so many self-help books and centers and treatments that I feel like I have found a lot of things to apply that I can share with all of you guys um, that have worked. Of course, I can share the things that didn't work, but I'm more prone, more prone to share the things that have worked. Right. One well, I think was great because, and I've said this multiple times, where a lot of people say they're experts in certain fields, but to me, the people that are the real experts, regard, I don't care if you went to school for it, it's the people who really experience, because there's a lot of people say that they're, let's say, mental health experts. 
but they don't really deal with mental health on a daily basis. Maybe they went to school for it or they, they, they know people, but the people that I know that struggle with it on a daily basis or, or, you know, have struggled with it a lot in their lives, those are the people I, I consider an expert. And for you, obviously you've dealt with so much trauma from what you've told me off the air and what I've read about you. Like you are an absolute expert. Now you may not, you may or may not be an expert on how to fix someone's trauma, but you definitely are an expert in, in what trauma is and, 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 you know, how to endure it and, and so on. So, uh, yeah. well, well, thank you for that. Um, I guess <laughs> I had to go through a lot to get that compliment, but <laughs> uh, well, yeah, unfortunately, yeah. but I mean, yeah. it is what it is. I mean, you know, yeah, for sure. And you know, that's the thing is that there's so many people that only know about PTSD, you know, and, a lot of people talk about, you know, the effects that PTSD, PTSD, I'm sorry, has on your, on your, on your body, you know, on your psyche, on, on your movement, on your belief system. I really don't hone in on PTSD because most of us know what that is. I, I hone in on post-traumatic growth, PTG. It's actually fairly new. It's um, just came out in the 1990s. Two psychologists came up with it. I can't remember their names off the top of my head. I'll do better with that. Um, but basically, it's, you know, the strength and and the excellence that you put out after suffering such a psychological, emotional devastation, like a life crisis. You know, what you do with that life crisis determines your outcome. Are you going to suffer from stress or are you going to do something positive are you going to be resilient and do something positive from it and you know not all of us have a choice but i think that not everybody understands that there is a choice yeah yeah no you're absolutely right <clears throat> sometimes we I, I think i think that's where a lot of like when, with, with the whole god angle a lot of people take it personal where they're like well why would you do this to me you didn't even give me a choice and it's like sometimes you just don't have a choice, and sometimes you, and then a lot of the bad, the most worst, you know, the worst things that can happen to you, are the things you learn from the most. But when it happens to you, you're just like, why would anyone ever put me through this? Regardless if you if you're looking at it from a religious angle or you're looking at it from you know in your case like a a, a person you cared about did something bad to you, um, but sometimes you you don't realize like later down the line like you do grow from it. It just takes a while to get past all that pain and drama. Right. And it's, and it is proven. It's a known fact that, you know, the most detrimental things that happen to you are the ones that are most remembered. You will remember a lot of the negative a lot stronger than you will the absolute positive, yeah. you know, the absolute greatness. I mean, yes, it's there, but it just doesn't impact you the same way. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, good things can happen to you and you might learn some stuff from it, but you really, you know, especially at your worst of times, whether it's mentally, physically, whatever, wherever you are, some of the worst of times when you're able to pull yourself out of that hole and, and actually be able to stand back up at some point, you're going to try to understand to appreciate the journey and realize like, wow, like there was something in there in, that I didn't even know was inside me. And, and you know, you, you, you learn a lot about yourself through those really bad times. And you, you said some, some really great things that I want to, to piggyback off of. I mean, you, you just said to pull yourself out, right? And I wholeheartedly believe that. I wholeheartedly believe that pulling yourself out is um, an ability. And I think that we all are capable. 
at the end of the day, for those that, you know, don't feel that they have the, the internal strength to do it and they resort to, you know, whatever they resort to, whether it's, you know, prescription drugs, street drugs, alcohol, whatever it is, it, it only lasts so long until you get to the place where you pull yourself out regardless. There are so many practitioners, there's so many doctors, psychologists, psychiatrists, whatever you name it, you go down the list. But at the end of the day, it's what you apply to pull yourself out of it anyways, because all of those other things are tools to help you do it. It's just AIDS. You still have to be the one. Yeah. There's a lot of distractions. You know, again, you could do something (laughs) terrible. You know, you could hit somebody with your car because you were drunk and you may not care about it, but you know, when you wake up in jail or the cops are knocking on your door the next morning, you're going to care about it because now you're sober and you know what you did, the consequences are going to kick in. So no matter how much you bury yourself in whatever it is that you use to distract yourself, you know, it, the real life still exists around you, no matter how much you want to, you know, go into some alternate world, regardless of however you do it, you know, reality is still there and there are tools available. It's just, unfortunately, a lot of times the tools are the harder part, like they're the harder route. The easy route is just to kind of go, yeah, I'm just going to drink myself to, to sleep. Or, or, you know, what, however you get through it. And the, sometimes the, the hardest ways are the ones that are, they look, you know, like I always say like when, you, it, when you're in the very beginning of your worst of times, it's like looking up the steps, but the steps never end. You're just continuing to look up and they're just dead. And you just, you can never imagine yourself getting to the top of those steps because it's, it's like infinite to you or infinite to you. But you can, it's just you have to start from somewhere. And it, sometimes starting from that beginning point is, is really challenging because you know you have you have to kind of set new goals and you have to really change your whole mindset um especially on that that takes commitment yeah especially on the severity of of the trauma especially like what a lot of you that you've gone through some of those things it's like you know as you were saying like you've gone through stuff as a child and to as an adult like you know it's one thing to deal with it as a kid but when you're going through it in current day it's like man like when does this ever end you and sometimes you get lost in the whole, you know, trying to appreciate life because you're constantly looking over your shoulder going, when is the next thing going to fly into my face? And, you know, so, it, but, like, you know, the strong people are the ones that really push through. And that's why it's good to have these conversations because there's a lot of people right now that are, you know, multiple stages behind where you are, where I am. And they're looking for some sort of guidance to get through it because they don't think they can. And, uh yeah it's it, it's challenging but you, you know you you, ha- you just have to find things to to live for it, it's it's sometimes exactly it's, sometimes it's hard but you know like in your case you have kids um but not everyone has kids some people have a pet or they have a, a loved one or they have a, a parent or you know but again i've always gone back to even if you find something as basic as a tv show and you want to wait till the next season comes out or, you you know, some artist is putting out a new album and it's going to be in two months. Well, that two months is another two months you want to live. And then maybe down the after maybe two months within that time frame, something else pops up that you want to live for because you want to wait to the next whatever movie comes out. And it, it's just it, it's a process. But, you know, it's corny when people say like, oh, take one day at a time. But it really is that. Because you don't know, especially emotionally, like for me with my eyes, I have good eye days and bad eye days. And when I have good eye days, sometimes I take that for granted and go, well, tomorrow's going to be a good eye day. I don't know that because I may wake up and be you know, severely disappointed because I don't have a good eye day and it's now sucks for me. And now I got to deal with the sadness of that. Um, 
but you know, like I said, it, it's, you just have to really take one day at a time and, and try not to look so far down the road. But it, like I said, back to the steps thing, sometimes you just keep looking up and you, you don't see an end to it. And you're like, well, it's easier just to give up because, you know, challenging yourself, it's like exercising. If you went, if everybody went to the gym and just gained, you know, 20 pounds of muscle the first day they went, well, gyms wouldn't be open very long. But, you know, and, and that wouldn't be life. You wouldn't learn anything. And, and it, if everything was so easy, like, everyone would do it. But that's, that's And you know what? And I, and I really want to say that our brain is our biggest muscle in our body. Yeah. So, again, going back to neglecting it, if that's our biggest muscle and, you, and people are, are, you know, tuned in to toning up their muscles, their body and this and that, you know, because I, I do talk about mirror work. You know, when you look at yourself in the mirror, what are you saying to yourself? What's the, what is your relationship with yourself? Because your mindset starts right there. You don't see yourself until you're in the mirror. So it's easy to talk smack to yourself and be hard on yourself and down and, you know, ask, you know, all the questions and be full of doubt, you know, but that's when you, something has to snap inside and say, no, this is not the way I'm going to think today. Get in front of that mirror, look at yourself, tell yourself what you're not going to do, tell yourself what you are going to do, you know, and be really genuine about it. And I call that inner size, right? We exercise, we go to the gym, we exercise, but our, what, how do we inner size, right? How are we exercising our inner being, right? And I, the, the, the mirror work and the mindset is what I, converted exercise into inner size because you really have to still work on it right yeah now there are people who literally cannot see themselves how other people see them for good or for, i mean i don't think anybody can really see themselves the way some people see them anyway but there yeah. are people who really look at themselves one way or not like they you know that's why like you know, like i was telling you about the, one of my last guests with just with like bulimia and anorexia like there are people who see themselves as overweight and they weigh a hundred pounds and they eat themselves and it's just, it doesn't matter. They could feel their waist. It's just mentally like, again, that, that's why the brain, you know, it, it's also the most difficult muscle we have because it's the one that can trigger and, and fool you into believing so many other things if you don't get it right. And, you know, yeah, if you don't, it, you have to challenge yourself. If you don't, you have to really see yourself for every, in every way possible. Cause sometimes we don't like to look at even the bad that we cause or, or how we think we don't like to be honest with ourselves, but if you don't, you're really never going to get to the root of your, your problems. Right. And if you, and if you're not honest with yourself, how can you trust yourself? And if you can't trust yourself, how can you trust anybody else? Yeah. And, and, and something bad may have happened to you, but there might've been a small part of it that you caused doesn't mean you deserved it, but there might be a part like you could, you could be a girl and go to a party and get raped. And of course the person who raped you is the worst person but you were taking drinks from random people. Maybe that wasn't a great idea. Like it doesn't right. mean it doesn't it still doesn't mean you deserved what you got, but you also should take precautions and understand you can't trust everybody. Um, and that, yeah, you just, you have yeah, to. Self-awareness goes a long way. <laughs> Situational awareness, self-awareness, social awareness, all of that. Yeah. And sometimes we, we are at fault and regardless of how bad it happens and not always, Sometimes we are completely innocent and life just hits us right in the face and, and there's nothing we can do about it. But there are times where maybe we play a small part in the role of, of 
you know, like, like with, you know, as being a woman, like sometimes women like to shit on men and say, oh, all men suck or vice versa. Guys will say all girls suck, but it's like, no, maybe the quality of people that you're dating suck. Doesn't mean some of the worst of things that have happened to you, you deserved, but sometimes you may be bringing a certain energy around based on your personality or how, whatever you attract. Maybe you're, you're choosing the wrong mates. Um, That's right. And there might be a part of you that, you know, you need to change so that you can attract a different, ver- you know, a different version of, of what you're really looking for. Um, but so I, I kind of want to get to, you know, a lot of the things that you've been through and like, you know, you're talking about PSG and everything. I want to know, like, can you talk about a few of the things that you've been through and maybe what you, how you grew from those things? Absolutely. I mean, I can definitely start at from when, you know, very young age. Um, <clears throat> you know, I was, I was a product of, of <laughs> a mistake per se. Um, you know, my mother had me when she was supposedly on birth control. And then there was this situation where she wasn't even sure who, who the father was. Um, and so I grew up knowing that of course, um, all my life. And, um, my mother also had a second child. Uh, you know, they, my mom and my dad were married. Um, she had both me and my, and my younger sister. And then she ended up leaving my dad to run off with another man, um, because she couldn't take the environment anymore. And when she left, she left us there. So the environment she couldn't stand anymore, she left her two daughters in. And so about a year after she had left, my sister was diagnosed with cancer and very quickly um, her life was taken. So she was two, I was three. And I had no idea that at that moment, you know, every void that a, a child could possibly have became my reality. You know, my mom was gone. My sister was gone. My dad was extremely checked out um, to the point where, you know, he was, I don't know if it was purposeful or not. I look back and just say, you know, he was in his young twenties and he handled his trauma the best way he knew how. And that was, you know, to be wild. He worked third shift, you know, went to happy hour at first thing in the morning, (laughs) you know, came home to go to sleep. And then I would wake him up when it was time for me to go to bed so he could get to work on time. So that was pretty much my childhood. I, you know, was very young and kind of neglected. I don't want to say kind of, I was extremely neglected and, you know, I had to fight my way through life. I had to learn things from outside my door. Um, you know, so what I did was, you know, I, I stayed, I stayed after school as much as I could. If there was no after school activities, I would literally walk to the cemetery and do my homework at the cemetery bonding with the only thing I knew to bond with, you know, and that was my deceased sister. Um, You know, there was there was a lot of opportunities for me to, uh, you know, go to the park and have, you know, gymnastics and woodcraft. And, you know, it was okay to be out until, you know, the streetlights came on as long as I was home by then, you know. And even though there was nobody to make sure I did that, I was still obedient and (laughs) made sure I did. Um, You know, I got into so many fights um, with girls, with boys. It didn't matter who you were. I didn't care. Um, I was a fighter. I was a town boy and I just did everything to distract me from 
being home. That was the loneliest, saddest place to be. And it was just every, I would rather be everywhere but there. Um, so that's kind of what I did to get through those voids in my life as, as such a little girl, um, to the point where when I, I think it was like fourth and fifth grade, I started mowing lawns, cleaning houses, washing cars, pulling weeds, helping watch, you know, kids while parents were, you know, doing whatever they were doing. Um, you know, newspaper routes, like I started working legitimate work, (laughs) you know, and that was because I wanted more than what was at home, which was pretty much nothing. Remember, my dad worked third shift, so that's when he ate and drank. When he was home during the day, he was sleeping, so those things weren't a concern for him. So I had to fend for myself at such a young age just to feed myself. Um, Fast forwarding to teenage years, um, that's where I felt like I was an adult. I already had work ethics. I already, you know, knew how to get around. I was stealing the car in eighth grade, learning how to drive. I taught myself how to drive. Um, you know, I, there was, there was just a lot of chaotic things I did as a teenager. Um, and, and before I even get to that teenage part, you know, my dad was physically abusive too. (laughs) So, you know, that probably had a huge impact on why I was a tomboy and why I felt like I could fight anybody, you know, outside my house. Um, and so when I got into the teenage years, as everybody knows, as a teenager, your mind actually disconnects and you go back to this place that you were in as a teenager. It's just you have a lot more um, experience at this at this point. So for me, like I said, I felt like I was already adult like because I had work ethic. I knew how to get around. I could drive. You really couldn't tell me much. Um, I was a high school dropout. I ended up, um, you know, dating this guy that we were extremely um, physically abusive towards each other. Um, you know, we stayed in this abusive relationship, gosh, for four, four or five years. Um, I ended up having his, I ended up having his baby. And when I had my daughter, I knew right then and there that violence was no longer going to be a part of my life because I was not going to allow my decision-making to impact my child's life in the same way my life was impacted. <clears throat> was, was it like once you had her or was it, was it something you had while she was in your stomach? Cause some, a lot of times you see something innocent like a baby or a, a cat or a dog or something. And you look at them and you go like, you just want to protect them because you know how shitty life can be. But then especially you know, for a child, but you know, even with animals, like you look at them, and you're like, they're, they're beautiful. And you go like, I don't want anything bad to happen to you. I don't want you to see what I see. Um, but yeah, was that something you came up with while she was in your stomach or when she was actually born, you actually got to look at her? Yeah. While she was in my stomach, I was still in the abusive relationship. It was really, really, really bad to the point where, you know, I was in ER a couple of times. Um, not so much because he physically, um, hit me, but because it was so emotional, emotionally abusive. I mean, there was physical also, but the emotional abuse during my pregnancy was so extreme that I developed tachycardia arrhythmia. I was literally having anxiety attacks and like my heart pounding out of my chest so fast. I couldn't even count the beats. Um, I checked, yeah, I checked myself in, um, and I was actually admitted. I was put on heart monitors. I was given medicine throughout my entire pregnancy. And 
at that time, for me, it was more about the emotional side. I didn't really realize that that was also a form of abuse because I didn't have any emotion, no type of connection with, you know, anybody through my childhood to the point where I understood what emotional abuse was, you know? So, um, looking back, I could say that now, but during that time, um, I didn't, it didn't really dawn on me. So I can say that it was not until I had my daughter that I said, hell no, (laughs) no more, no more crying over, you know, emotional, you know, the emotional abuse, no more physical, you know, attacks at all on either side. I just, you know, needed to disconnect 100%. And that happened, I would say about three months after um, my daughter was born, because I, I came home and saw, um, you know, her dad uh, doing some things. And I just packed my stuff and and I left, but I I took my daughter with me. (laughs) And, um, you know, we left to a very cold basement where there was, you know, brick walls and cement floor, no heat, but I made a little studio apartment for us and I had some space heaters and, you know, we made it work. It was the peace and, and the peace and the environment of not having all of that stress around me that allowed me to not even look at what my dwelling was. It was more so how I felt and how, you know, innocent my baby was that, you know, they don't know the difference. We're just laughing and loving each other. Right. I'm sure <laughs> and, you could also envision like how long, like if she, if you would have kept, if you would have stayed with him, you basically saw her turning what she would turn into. It probably would be like you, even though technically she would have both of her parents around, but two parents would probably hate each other and they fight all the time and, and not in the greatest area. And you just, I'm sure you probably envisioned her, you know, maybe becoming you if you didn't get out of it, because that's how the cycle continues to get passed around. Like you just, if you don't find a way to break the cycle, it just continues on and on and on. And that's why a lot of these kids that end up doing horrible things, whether it's touching other kids or uh, shooting up schools or any of these things, uh, obviously, you know, in certain neighborhoods, you know, they, they, they just jump into gangs because these kids pretend to be their friends because they don't have a father figure and maybe they're living with their grandma. They don't have anyone to really give them any guidance and they just keep the cycle going because their cousins died from gang violence or whatever. And, and it's like they're set up to do the same thing. So it's like if you didn't get her out of there, who knows where her life would be now if you would have, if you're if you were still in that relationship, that would be if you were even still alive. Right. Absolutely. And you hit the nail on the head when you said that, um, because he did get involved in the game banging. And that was my, my absolute, absolutely not because I know how many game bangers had their baby in the car and they got shot up or the baby got shot up or, you know, the, the car was tagged. And when the mom was driving the car, they, the car got shot up with the mom and the baby inside the car. So I was, I'm fully aware definitely from growing up in, you know, in the hood, I, I 100% knew what SOS meant smash on site, KOS kill on site. Like there's no way, you know, and that, that was not going to put my baby through that. So she probably would have ended up worse. And, you know, in my opinion, sometimes I think that having an absent parent is better than the long-term effects of having both parents that are in such a toxic relationship and the impact that it has on the child. And even though, you know, the absent parent gets all the praise because the child doesn't know them and it's just, you know, the, you know, vision or story that they have in their head, you know, 
as parents, we have the capacity to know better. And, you know, for all the parents that are out there listening, I, I want to say that, you know, we can only do the best with what we have at that time. Yeah. And as long as, as long as you are comfortable logically and emotionally with that, you know, then, then you have to be confident in that and don't forget your reasons why, because you will be challenged by your kids later. Those questions will be asked. You will see the effects. Yeah. But it's not to feel guilty. It's to know that you did the right thing at the time, at that time. Yeah, for sure. And that's, yeah, I mean, that's why there's this big war with like, you know, bad parenting is one of the big problems in this world. And, and no matter where you live, I mean, you see a lot of these kids acting out, whether it's they have the parents home or not. A lot of times kids go home, like you were saying, you didn't want to be home, regardless of the physical abuse or not. Sometimes going home is where all your demons are and where everything it's where all your bad memories are and you you go home sometimes you you rather stay in school and be bullied because going home you probably get a bigger ass whooping or you see something bad happening to your other parent or like there's a lot of shit that goes with it, all the trauma and you just you know again like i said passing on this cycle that's why so a lot of this is just passed down from you know you're the next the next generation and it's that's why so many people think like oh i just would love to be like whoever in my family it's like no man like take the good from like, I always take all the goods from all the best parts of my people that I love in my life, but I delete the bad. There's a lot of bad parts in my, you know, the people that I love. And I'm like, I don't want, I don't like that quality. Maybe they're racist or maybe they're this. I don't want that. So I'll delete that. But right. maybe they're independent. Maybe they're strong and they went through some hard times and it helped me get through my hard times. But, you know, it, but you got to break the cycle of a lot of the bad things that are put in, like, that are like hereditary and that are in your, just in your gene pool. Sometimes you don't even know it's there until you get old enough to understand it. And you're like, Oof, like, I'm like, don't get me started. Don't get me started. Do you know how long domestic violence was like, okayed? Like, have you ever heard the, the term rule of thumb yeah. rule of thumb means that the husband couldn't be his wife with a stick whip or, or, um, rope thicker than his thumb. Yeah. You know, like there's, it was not until the 1920s that it was even presented as something inhumane. And it wasn't until the seventies that there was all these riots to get, you know, women's rights, you know, up to par. I mean, we're still fighting for equal pay. There's domestic violence that still goes on. It wasn't until the nineties that, you know, the violence against women act was signed into office. And even, even still, there's so many people, you know, it's, it is in the DNA, <laughs> you yeah. know, it's been for so it's generational. It's in the lineage. So it's really teaching now, you know, every time that we reproduce, it's you do better for your children than what you did for yourself, you know, or what your parent did for you, you know, for those, of, you know, for those of us that still had them in our lives, yeah, no. you know, so breaking the cycle. Absolutely. Um, and, 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 you know, I thought I broke the cycle. So let me, let me tell you about that. So, so again, high school dropout, had my baby, got, you know, left, left him and, you know, kind of just got myself together, went back for my GED. The last day of GED, I applied for college. Um, I, I was doing good, um, you know, with work and moving forward, just raising my daughter, you know, on my own. He ended up getting in some trouble on the streets because of where he turned and, left the country and whatever, never got child support, never, you know, he was never really active or tried to be a part of her life. So it made my life um, easier. I can definitely say that. Um, even though there was times I will share one time that he um, pulled up in front of my house, grabbed my baby, put her in the car and took off up the street. And I had to jump on the car because 
he just kidnapped my baby and I'm screaming for help. I was literally dragged up the street, almost a block. Oh my gosh. It was crazy. But anyways, um, in my early twenties at this point, you know, my daughter is now, you know, first grade, second grade. You, by the way, are like a typical Latin mom. I love it. And my, I, say, I say that because my, my sisters, I'm white, but my sisters have Puerto Rican. So I have a quarter of my family is, is, is Spanish and, and I, I've just been around so many Spanish moms. And it's like you really underestimate them of how much they would do for their kid if you fucked with them. And I, oh, my gosh. You, you're giving me goosebumps because that's a part of my story that that I haven't really had the opportunity to talk about. Um, it was it was the Puerto Rican mothers that took me in. I'm Italian. I'm oh, Italian, Italian and French. Okay. Oh, I, yeah, yeah, but but no, pero no me joda porque yo hablo español ciento por ciento. Yo puedo cocinar y bailar y todo. So no me diga. All right. So it's all the Puerto Rican families because in the neighborhood again that you know I was I was in. Um, I tell them to this day. I my mother may have left me abandon me whatever you want to say but i have like 10 moms i have like 10 mothers yeah. i've been blessed and i tell those families all the time like if you didn't take in strays i don't know where i would be and they get so mad you're not a straight i said did i have a, a, somewhere to go <laughs> if the, the answer is no you took me in so yes a lot of my traits are definitely 100 percent from the puerto rican side yeah you hear it <laughs> i mean like i said i would you if you would have told me you're puerto rican i would have just said okay i mean i know italian and puerto rican there's a lot of similarities but you, you oh yeah the accent like you just they, I, don't, I don't even want to say the attitude but you have you do you have a little bit of the puerto rican attitude but i love it because it's i'm so used to it and I, yeah, that's some, so funny. Some people take that because when, especially when you hear Puerto Rican moms yell, a lot of people think that they're just being like angry. But it's just like, no, that's just how they talk. It's just I think because I'm living in Philly, like a lot of people. I live in a smaller town. And a lot of people don't understand me, and it's like, no, it's just an, it, my aggression thing is not. I'm not trying to be a dick. I just I'm just so used to being in Philly. It's a hardened city that you just can't live there. Yeah. And expect to just walk around and everything's going to be hunky dory. That's not how it goes. And. You know, being around so oh many Spanish moms is just, it's, it's just hilarious because it's like, you know, I just, you just got used to them yelling and you're like, oh, okay, they're just talking about, you know, doing their taxes. It's, it's, just yeah. And, you know, and it's so funny because unless, unless you stay in that community, you're not understood. When you leave that community and you're on your own, like I am now, I'm constantly having to defend myself. Like nobody gets it. I am really labeled <laughs> as this loud, aggressive person and i'm like whatever right. you know but um but, go ahead, I'm sorry. but yeah. i was no 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 that's okay um i'm being conscious of our time too so i don't want to take away um so yeah so then in my 20s while you know i'm raising my daughter making sure she's you know 100 good you couldn't tell me nothing i have my shit together i'm working going to school taking care of my kid paying my own bills i have a reliable car i have a great support system like i'm doing it i got over this you know i don't think there's ever getting over a death of a sibling but you know i i wasn't mourning every day at the cemetery like i was you know and i truly got over my my mother's um issues because you know i was like i will just never understand how a mother could abandon her her child and i was just i loved on my baby so much so um during that time um you know very busy 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 i ended up meeting a gentleman and you know we were dating for a while it ended up getting serious i wound up you know um pregnant for the second time um and right right I would say like at the three month mark, 
<laughs> I also had chicken pox when I was three months pregnant with him, but um, that was very scary. At that at that time frame, um, I was advised that a job offer was extended. You know, to to you know my boyfriend at the time, and he was ready to accept the position. Except it was all the way on the other side of the country. So um, the opportunity was presented to me, and I had the you know I had the choice to say. Yes, I'll go with you or no, I'm going to stay here. And, you know, of course, when you grow up in the hood, one of the big successful stories is leaving the hood. You know? right, right. And so I, um, I said, yes, um, I just needed to I just needed him to go first and get settled and that I, I would follow because I had a lot of things to close out. I was in college at this time working towards my bachelor's. I was, you know, working full time as well. You know, my daughter was in school. I was kind of planning this for around spring vacation. So then this way would be a smooth transition. So we agreed to that. That's exactly what happened verbatim. Now we're going to fast forward to the day I'm leaving. So um, I, I packed everything up. Things were sent out uh, like door to door storage. And then I ended up driving over a thousand miles to where we were, where we moved to. Um, it took about three weeks for our belongings to arrive. And when I say our belongings, I'm talking about just me and my daughter because he had left, you know, months before us. And so I was super excited to unpack and get settled because I needed to start nesting and getting ready for my baby. You know, I had already transitioned my daughter to school, got to know my doctors and just start preparing. Um, when my items arrived and I started unpacking, I came across belongings of another woman underneath my bathroom sink. And I about had a fit. And I just said, okay, before I start assuming or making accusations, let me just, you know, kind of retract my brain. Did he say he had family out here? Were there visitors? Like, I really don't remember, you know, and why would things be here? You know, so I just said, I'll, I'll wait until tonight. Let me not, I need to calm down and I need to choose when is the right time to bring this up. So after dinner, you know, the normal routine, shower, homework, to bed, you know, I waited for my baby, you know, my daughter to go to sleep. And so I asked him, I said, hey, I just wanted to let you know that I was, you know, putting stuff away today. And when I was putting stuff away, I came across the belongings of another woman. And I would like to ask, who do these things belong to? And he said, why were you going through my stuff? Hmm. And I said, okay, I'm going to say the same thing because maybe you misheard me or misunderstood me. I said I was putting my belongings away and I came across this. Not that I'm going through your stuff. And before I even completed my sentence, I was on the floor. So when I was on the floor, he was on top of my eight month pregnant stomach with his son in there and his left hand around my neck while his right hand was closed fist punching me over and over and over. And I can't tell you how long I was down there or how long I was trying to get out from there. What I can tell you is when I heard my daughter's voice at the top of the stairs, all I heard was mom, mom. I don't even know how loud or how faint it was. I just knew it was her scared little voice. And as soon as my brain registered her voice, the adrenaline pumped through me like a waterfall. I mean, my feet slammed on the floor. My 
my hips thrusted towards the ceiling. My neck was used like a kickstand and I catapulted him off of me. I got up so freaking fast. I don't even know how I got up. By the time I got up, I saw her at the bottom of the stairs. I grabbed her and we ran out just like that. I saw the, a light on um, at the building next to us. I just knocked on the door and, you know, I said, please, please, I need to call. I need to call the police. I need to use your phone. Can I please use your phone? And, you know, the family let me and my daughter in. I called the police. I can't tell you if my daughter was in the kitchen, on the couch. I have no idea. I was just, <laughs> you know, I could not have even fathomed this to ever happen. There was no red flags or sign of anything like this before I gave up my life, you know, to move. And so definitely being in a brand new state, I had no idea what the laws were. If he was, you know, what was going to happen, what to expect, nothing. Um, so the police ended up, you know, going, they, they, they talked to me and then they walked over there and ended up arresting him. Um, of course, pictures were taken, you know, reports were taken, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I can just tell you that right there is where everything shifted. I had to become a brand new person in that very moment and figure out my life in the moment because I had no idea what I was going to do, where I was going to go. I didn't have any friends, any family. I was in this foreign place. Um, what I ended up doing was going back home after he was arrested. And I, and I made sure that my you know daughter went back to sleep. I kept her, I kept her out of so much stuff. Um, I really can't tell you how I did it. I just, it was just logical thinking at the moment. Um, you know, I, I, I remember, I remember calling her friends, parents that she, you know, friends that she made at school. And I would say, you know, can, can she just hang out at the pool with you guys for a couple hours? You know, and I, and I would do that very often after, you know, she got home from school because that was my time. That was my time to do everything that I had to do. I was literally repacking my stuff. I was putting my stuff, whatever I could carry to a storage room. That's what I was carrying. If I couldn't carry it, it got sold or it stayed behind. I did not care. Um, I ended up going to the emergency room after I dropped her off the next day. I had to have my unborn baby checked to make sure that we're okay. Um, I received a lot of information, you know, from the hospital as it relates to like, you know, yeah, call social services, call this place, call that place. You could sit there and call a thousand one eight hundred numbers in a week, in a month. Good luck. Real time assistance for real time victims. I don't think is out there. I've slept in my car. I have not received any sort of assistance that a lot of places say that they have to offer. It's just, it's just another number to another number to another number. And it wasn't until probably my 1006 phone call that I finally found somebody who said, I know an advocate. I know a domestic violence advocate and I'm going to connect you guys and they will be able to help. And 100% that advocate surely helped. The first thing that I was asked, you know, of course you go through a huge intake. Um, I gave all, all of the answers, honestly. And, you know, it was very helpful. It was so helpful. They were saying the first thing you need to do is get your name off of everything because you don't have a job. You can't pay the rent. You have to have somewhere to stay. You can't have your baby on the street. The hospital is not gonna, is not a shelter. You can't take a brand new baby to the shelter. I mean, you could, but are you, you know, so it's looking at your options. Um, 
And I was able to take my name off the lease. I was able to explain everything. I was able to, you know, save my credit so I could have something, you know, when I got back on my feet and have, you know, and got a job and all that kind of stuff. And I was high risk. I couldn't fly. I couldn't drive. I couldn't go anywhere. I had to stay local. My baby was at risk. I was high risk. So I was literally stuck. I had no other choice but to figure it out. I was able to convince the doctors to give me a C-section 10 days prior to the already planned C-section because I was under so much stress and I just needed my baby out. It was going to be easier. Um, so all that ended up happening. Um, you know, I had no money coming in. I had to go stand in line for food stamps. I had to go stand in line for, you know, public assistance. You know, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't the first time I, I, you know, lived in, in the hood in Chicago. So, you know, I've been there before. Um, so at least I knew that those things were available and I had you know, I was not ashamed to do it when you need help, you need help. Right. Um, so I ended up, I ended up, uh, renting out a, just a room in a, in a nice house. I just rented out a room and we all stayed there until I was able to gradually, you know, just get myself together. And so thankfully that, you know, I was able to get my son into daycare and I was able to get on WIC and I was able to get those food stamps and those things really did help supplement me not having anything. I was able to provide for my children for that reason through, through them, you know, through the system. Do you, um, um, of course, do, do you, staying diligent. Do you, do you, do you feel, no, I was just gonna say, do you feel like from all the abandonment and all the things you went through as a kid and just having to basically teach yourself how to be an adult and just be a woman, do you feel, feel in like growing up in the neighborhood you grew up in? Like, do you feel like a lot of that taught you for that time period of, you know, dealing with? Oh my goodness. If it was not for those Puerto Rican mothers that took me in and told me, like taught me how to pay attention to your situational um, surroundings, how to fight for yourself, how to have the mindset to pull yourself up. Oh my gosh. If it was not for my life in Chicago, I would not have made it. I would not have made it by myself. Literally when I say by myself, I have nobody just me and my kids. And that goes back. When I say me, I mean my brain, my mindset, right? It was just my mindset and my kids and my mindset was protecting and providing. I must protect. I must provide. I must protect. I must provide. There was no other thought process. Yeah. Why well, ask that? Cause a lot and of it, it is, you know, again, you, you used to physically fight all the time for your life and for everything else. And then now you're, you found something to fight for in a more positive way in a way yeah. to fight for yeah. your children. Obviously, you're fighting for yourself, yeah. but you're, you know, you're third. If you have two kids, you're, you know, but you're still fighting. And you're, you have something, but it's, it's more of a positive. You're not f physically fighting. And, and I mean, at that point, you were just talking about with the, with the, the father, sure. But, you know, yeah, you were, I mean, you took everything. Because a lot of people, like I said, there's a lot of people, same with like the whole depression and suicide stuff. People don't, a lot of people don't make it out of the hood. I mean, that's why they call it the trap. Like it, it, a lot of right. people don't survive and a lot of, especially young kids think the only way they can make it out is if they play ball or they rap. And that's really not the case, right. but especially for women, it's even harder because, you know, a lot of the stigma is just all they do is just lay around and get pregnant and collect food stamps and, and, and all that. And, and, but there's a lot of women like you that just, you know, there's, you know, cause I remember growing up. And, you know, of course you hear about all the crazy white people doing, you know, molesting children and all that. But, you know, when I got into the Spanish family, like I didn't realize that basically everybody knew a Spanish uncle that touched some kid. 
And so then you then you start to learn about other like every culture, and you're like, a lot of this stuff is here. It's just not it's not talked about. So women like you, you know, a pretty girl who's just going through the hood, you know, you're super vulnerable, and you have to fight for your life because you don't have a choice. But people just think like you're you're rebelling and in and, and some ways you are, but you're also like for you, you didn't have a family. So you're just, you're just doing, you're just going on autopilot. You're going for whatever the hell you think, you know, whatever you've seen on TV or whatever you read or whatever you see who you think is a role model. <clears throat> and then when you finally get to a place now where you're an adult and you're surviving, you're just going based on like, technically you're kind of other than those mothers, you're probably your biggest role model because you're the you're the one example of oh I, I kind of I made it out and I have kids I'm fighting for and I went through all these different things and I'm just gonna make sure these kids don't go through what I went through. Um, yeah, and yeah. I think that my fight in as a child just to live, just to survive, because I was neglected by my parents. I you know today I'm thankful that my mom left. Because I don't know what my life would be with a weak-minded individual raising me like like under that under that umbrella, anyways. Mm-hmm. And and even if I didn't know what kind of mom I was going to be, I knew what mother I was not going to be. For sure, yeah. You know, so that definitely gave me the stamina and the focus and the laser, <laughs> you know, um, focus, you know, to to fight for us one hundred percent and. You know, I want to say it's, you know, almost 20 years later now, and my kids are emotionally and mentally healthy, praise God, and they, you know, support me coming out and talking about it now, um, you know, because they're in a good place. And I'll I'll be very vulnerable and honest and say that, you know, it took for my daughter to move out in her, you know, younger 20s. And she said to me, you know, I love you so much and I respect everything that you went through, because I know it was not all in your control or under your control, but how you responded to it. And I know that you did your best mom. And she said, but I have something to share with you and you're not going to like it. And I said, okay, well give it to me. What's up? You know? (laughs) And she said, as close as you were, as much as you did, all the fighting that you did for us, with us, etc." She said, I didn't have you emotionally there for me. Even though you were in the next room, if, even though you were in the, in the bed laying next to me, you were not there emotionally for me. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I almost, oh, oh, I could cry right now. Right. And I'm just sitting here, like, I was so offended at first, because I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? I did nothing but make sure that I protected and provided and protected and provided. Yeah. And now you're going to sit here and talk about you wanted this lovey-dovey stuff. And I'm just like, how wrong of me, yeah. you know, to it's even take sometimes. offense to that. Yeah. Yeah, it hurts. Yeah. You know? But, but it he, makes sense, he, though. It makes sense for you yeah. not to because you didn't have that when you were a kid. And you might not, I mean, you're kind con- it was like the fight or flight. Like, you, all you did was fight. And, 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 yep. or you, or you, or you flew. Like, you were trying to just get to somewhere on, you know, hollow ground, just safe and just be okay. And you were just constantly moving. You're constantly making decisions. And every decision seems to just end up you running into a wall. And, you know, you didn't make any time for them enough. I mean, you, you what you were doing was still heroic and amazing, but, you know, sometimes kids need that other part of you. And, you know, it's hard because you didn't have a mom to really do that for you. So, but. Right. I never knew emotional intelligence. Now I do. We have a great relationship. 
All right, guys. So I'm gonna say we're back because I don't I don't know how to transition to it just because she, she had something to do yesterday and uh, I wanted to continue the conversation because there's still more to our story and obviously we enjoyed ourselves. So let's continue it. Uh, so yeah, we were like I said off of air. We were talking a lot about like the growth you were having and with your daughter and how um, you know how, oh yeah and I know what we were really talking about. We were talking about how uh, like you're being brought up. And how that helped you, you know, like your lack of parenthood, how it helped you fight through all the things that you had to fight through later in life, more current day. Absolutely. Yes, I would have to say that from my childhood, that definitely gave me the strength to, you know, have that that mindset, that survival mindset that was required, um, you know, to, to continue pushing forward. You know, I when I look back now. I wonder, you know, it was it survival or was it desperation or does the desperation to survive, you know, the two things combined, you know, um, I kind of associate, I kind of associate that type of behavior, you know, to, you know, a wild animal that needs to feed her young, <laughs> you know, and protect her young. That's it. They'll, they'll do anything. Yeah. So they, that's, they that's kind that of what a mom that like, you know, there's always that, urban legend but i think it's pretty true because i've seen it where a mother like if a car or child is underneath a car a mother would be able to lift the car to get the child out of there but in most circumstances she doesn't have the strength to do it um that's right that's a true story that really happened yeah and that and i think that's kind of where you were because you know maybe in most circumstances and maybe if your daughter wasn't even there you probably would have just succumbed to the beating and, and just wherever would have went, whether you died or were just really brutally injured. That's what would have happened to you. Obviously you did get injured, but, uh, but the fact that you heard your daughter talking knew that you had to protect her. Um, and it, yeah, I mean, you just found some deep, not even inner strength, but like physical strength to that. You didn't ever thought it probably ever existed in you. 100%. That is, that is what I call true adrenaline at its best. <laughs> and um and you know this is this is a good analogy if you are familiar with the incredible hulk yeah right and not a lot of people know that there's an incredible she hulk and she's been around since the 1980s she's actually smarter and stronger and if you look at what their attributes are in the marvel world you know they're not superheroes or they are superheroes they just don't have superhero powers they have superhuman powers and if you really just take a step back and look at what makes them conform into you know this destructive being it's their triggers they're they're responding to their emotions um it's their anger and they themselves don't even like who they turn into when they become that destructive you know being and so you know they deal with it by retreating um, otherwise it, it, it does become destructive and they have all this like crazy strength. Right. So it's, it's really weird. Cause I didn't realize that there was even an incredible She-Hulk until about two years ago. And then when I started just kind of doing the research to learn more about her, I just was amazed and said, Oh my gosh, this is so much like human beings. And the creator was just a genius. And that's kind of where be your incredible self came from. Yeah, well, apparently they're they're working on an actual movie where she would be in it because it's it's a villain they've never really officially used 
especially properly. Maybe in the animated series they have, but in, in actual live action they haven't. So that's something they're working on. But no, you're right. Because especially as a child, there, there was a few things like superheroes. And I was like really big into Dragon Ball Z. Just certain things that like a certain character would show a certain amount of rage of just whatever was happening to them uh, or something to someone they cared about. And then they just lost it. But they did it, you know, maybe they weren't completely themselves, but they were also doing it for some sort of good. And it was just a way, you know, because you, you think of like people being bullied, like that's something they would vi- envision themselves of just being able to fight them off after just so much, just, you know, ass kickings and, and just whatever they're going through, they just get tired of it and they just push back. And obviously there's a lot of people that they can't because they don't have the strength or, or whatever, what have you. Um, but those are the type of things that get people through superheroes, especially just cause it, they, you know, there's a part of it that is realistic. And obviously with you, uh, yeah, you showed some strength. Like I said, I'm sure you never thought it ever would ever come out. Right. <clears throat> Absolutely. Yeah. And again, like that's a thing, like I don't have kids, but you know, you, when you see someone, we all say things like, Oh, I, there's certain people in your life that I would take a bullet for, or I'd die for or whatever. But you know, some, a lot of people say things like that. They might not mean it, but, you know, but a lot of people, there, you know, and again, like for me, there's people in my life I genuinely would really die for if I could do something to save their life. But also some things in life move so quick and, and crazy shit happens, especially in the world we live in today. Um, sometimes it's all about basic instinct. That's why, you know, we're, we're constantly compared to animals and we're more like animals than we try to pretend like we're not for good for, and the bad. But, uh but yeah, I mean, animals do a lot of things. There are certain animals that will gnaw their own foot off. Like a barrel might gnaw its own foot off if it gets caught in a trap. It's it's just basic yeah. instinct, and it'll it'll live. It'll figure a way out unless it bleeds out. But overall, it, it it'll survive. Um, yeah, and that's it's just like I said, that's something. Usually, I mean, fathers have it as well, but that's definitely something that mothers, like I said, they may not even have possessed that strength in any way, shape, or form. But if something happens to their child, it it comes out. Oh, yeah. The situation will call for the response required, right? Yeah. So when, when she when she said that to you about the affection part of it that was lacking, did has your relationship changed since then? Absolutely. Um, you know, it was a very hard nugget to swallow because, you know, I had been laser focused on, you know, providing and protecting her entire life. So to hear that, you know, in her early adulthood, I was just like, so taken aback, you know, and um, it made me it made me look at myself. And like I said, you know, I really didn't have a mother to measure what I was doing with my daughter, you know, like, I, I didn't have that in my life. I, I, I just, did, I just knew what type of mother I was not going to be. Um, and I, and to be honest with you, I, you know, sh- I can say that I, you know, I showed my affection the best way that I knew how at that time, because for me, the protecting and the providing, you know, that's my, I guess that became my love language. You know, it all had to be combined into that. And, um, you know, I did, I did a lot of, I did a lot of reflection work, you know, how, how did I get to that place? How was I not emotionally available? You know, cause I have to validate that's my daughter. I have to validate what she's saying, you know, in, in my own, in my own self, you know, cause I, I, I'm not perfect, but I try not to have shortcomings that are detrimental. And, um, 
you know, I started doing a lot of people, people say exercise. I started doing a lot of exercising, <laughs> and, um, you know, I started to learn what emotional awareness is. I started to learn what emotional intelligence is. I started to learn about the different types of love languages and, and of course, <clears throat> you know, you, your responses as a human being to trauma, to life crises, to, you know, things that, you know, tear you completely down to the core. And, you know, what, what does all that look like? Because it's, it's, it's for me personally, I had to make sure that I didn't fall into a depression. I had to make sure that I didn't beat myself up. You know, I felt like I did that enough, you know, just by protecting and providing. So now on that emotional level, um, you know, it, it did chip me away and it was really hard not to get into that, you know, depressive state where I was beating myself up. Um, but I just continued reading and reading. And, you know, even though she was out of the house, um, I don't, I'm not sure if that made it easier or harder because there was many days and nights that I was like, Oh my gosh, you know, I, I could be, I could be applying this with her right now. Like, you know, I started questioning, why does she wait so long to say something, you know? And, um, you know, I, I never had the courage to ask her. I just kind of kept it to myself as to either she was probably afraid, you know, to say something to me earlier or, you know, because she had moved out, you know, again, it was the courage to say it. And, you know, at the end, I was just really thankful um, to her that she was, that she felt safe enough to tell me, you know, that she did it, that she wasn't afraid and that she was smart enough to understand what, you know, how to express her emotion, you know, because I think that in looking back, I, I did not have any of that. It was what has to be done is what's going to be done. And that's it. <laughs> you right. know, there, there was no, Oh, would you, would you like to, you know, go to bed at nine o'clock or 10 o'clock? No, you're going to bed at eight thirty because I have to do this and this and this and this and this. Like there's no negotiating, you know, um, I, I had to have a very strict, ran ship. It was a, a, a structured regimen. Otherwise I would not have been able to, you know, get everything done. And I hear myself responding to you and I'm still not with emotions. I'm still very matter of fact. And I saw, so apparently I'm still working through some of those things. Um, yeah, but look at, look, but, at, look at all you, I mean, look where you obviously look where you come from. You have to be tough and, and just all that you went through. I mean, you went through so much and you've, yeah, it looks like now in your life you're finally starting to like be able to put your feet down and be able to just like think and react and, and actually take everything you've been through because all in because you've been through so much and we haven't even got to more recent stuff but you continue to go through things but your your life is a little more balanced than it was you didn't have any guidance you just were you're just you were all reacting on just pretty much all on emotion beyond just your your fight to get off your ex get your ex off of you, but you were, you were fighting a lot. You were, and you were trying to find yourself and I mean, you were pretty much a lost girl. And unfortunately there's a lot of them running around. You just end up turning into something decent uh, and, and you're still alive, which is, you know, obviously you should be very grateful for, but it, you know, you've never really had a time to sit down and go like, Oh, emotion. And then first of all, like to you, like what is affection? What is emotion? How can you provide that for her when you never had it? And so, you know, but something deep down, obviously when you first saw her and knew she was in your stomach, you knew like 
you know, you've, you, that's when you started, to, you said earlier, yesterday, that you wanted to, you know, make a change for her that, you, you know, maybe that you never had because you knew that she was so innocent, you had to protect her. And, and that is something that just came out of nowhere for you as well. And so, you know, yes, it sucks that she didn't get the proper affection that she deserved and maybe wanted and whatever. But, you know, you're also a person that's been through so much <laughs> shit that you were constantly fighting wars that even when she was alive, uh, you know, you never really had time to just sit and relax. I mean, you were moving from home to home and again, running from, you know, exes and all these things like you, you didn't have time to really kind of decompress all this and just go, Hey, you know, life is good. Cause for a long time it wasn't for you. And even when there was some right. good moments, maybe you had some happy moments, or you laughed, or you, you know, played games or puzzles or something together. And you had a good time. It's hard because maybe you weren't, you didn't have the right living arrangement or you know, you didn't have a job or there's certain things in your life was just so chaotic. And now that you're, you know, you see her as an adult and you see, you know, you can have these open discussions, which is great, but it's, it's, it's hard because, you know, again, it sucks that she didn't get that, but also to the same point, like from anybody who can look at it from an outside perspective, you look at it and it's like, man, how could anyone even like the fact that you do have love in you is, is amazing. You know? Like, oh my gosh. <clears throat> Thank people, you for that. Uh, go ahead. No, no, I was just saying, it's just, I mean, cause like I said, you're an amazing person. It's amazing that you, you, you know, even that you smile and you laugh because you do have a lot of pain emotionally, physically, and mentally. So the fact that you're still standing and you want to live and you want to do good things for other people, like now, like you're, how you're trying to help others, you know, especially women that have gone through this system of just being fucked over multi, you know, so many, in so many different ways, the fact that you want to give back and you're making time for it, it means you had love in there the whole time. It's just... You know, I mean, it's, you just had a lot of love to give. You just never got it yourself. And, and now you'll hopefully now start to receive it because obviously your daughter, but also from other people, you know, that one person will say, hey, you help get me through the day. will change everything for you. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you. I am proud of her today. Um, you know, where she is and who she is mentally, physically, emotionally. She is <clears throat> a very grounded, strong individual that will speak her mind, um, you know, with respect. And she has, you know, she knows where to draw her boundaries. And, you know, we're not, <clears throat> we're not close anymore as it relates to, you know, the same neighborhood. She's, you know, she's quite a few hours away. So, you know, we don't see as each other as often in person, but, you know, we have weekly routines. Sometimes we'll stay on the phone for like five hours. <laughs> cool. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll laugh, we'll cry, we'll, tell, you know, catch up on the gossip, on the bonchinche, <laughs> you know. Um, and so I would have to say that, you know, show, me showing her that I really wanted to fix that and me taking responsibility for, you know, I guess my shortcomings and for me to, you know, accept what she was saying and li really listen to, you know, her heart. I think her watching me go through that and talk to her and follow up and not just say, I want to change or, you know, but actually, you know, walking in it, you know, making my efforts. And there, and let me tell you something, it wasn't easy. There was, you know, probably about a year and some change where she thought I was being sarcastic or that I was just, you know, it was just always, she thought I was sarcastic. She thought I was being sarcastic. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you're gonna, you're gonna make me not want to do this. <laughs> you know, because oh, I'm trying to be sincere. 
Yeah, you mean when you were actually trying to give her what she wanted and she thought you were being sarcastic because it wasn't something yeah. that you really did. Yeah, like while I'm making the effort to change and to show and to, you know, show the affection, like her love language is, is, is different, you know, and I have, you know, I guess some... You know restraints on how I how I show. You know my 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 love is shown in action. You know she likes affirmation and touch and you know all that other stuff. So you know it was it was really hard for me to. Not I'm not saying like I don't I don't change for anybody, but I understand the other person, so I can I can relay the message that they will receive the right way. You know, because I, I can say, I love you. I'm going to the store to buy you stuff. And then, she, you know, somebody could be like, well, how is that love? You should just going to the store to buy me something, you know, where other people, you know, I make you a nice dinner and I have, you know, it's so, it's so beautiful or whatever. And they're like, oh, wow, this is so beautiful. You must really love me. You know, like everybody has their own way of receiving their definition of love. Yeah. I, I see. I, we, we relate in a lot of ways because I remember when I was a kid and I, I got, bullied and molested in school and all these things that happened to me so much happened to me I remember my mom because it echoed in my head she said you know the adults what they say matters they you know they you know she put she put adults on such a pedestal that I should listen to them and, and respect them and then all I did was get screwed over by adults and they treated me horribly and I got bullied and all these things that happened and you know so it was hard to really because I can relate to you and your daughter because I, you know, my family is also very closed off when it comes to love. It's more tough love because my grandma mm -hmm. grew up in the early thirties and, and, you know, she, she didn't have a bathroom. She had an outhouse and she lived in a small house with nine, nine people. And, and, you know, she had it rough. No, she was, you know, poor. Um, and my mom, you know, grew up, you know, with a really strict family and all that. So there, but there's not a lot of love and it's hard for a lot of us to say we love each other, but also, where I, where I relate to your daughter is that I am kind of the mushy one. I'm the one that like wants to show affection, even with like my guy friends, I'll put my arms around them and just be happy. And, and but there's also a, a part of me that also is hard for me to say, I love you to people. Like sometimes I will say, you know, I love you. Or I say it in a certain way because of all the shit that has happened to me and just how my family beat certain things into me, good or good or bad. It, there's so much there that as a person like you and I, who have been through a lot of trauma, it's really hard and, and it, it's hard to be like, Hey, I love you. Like it doesn't come, even though we mean it that way, sometimes it comes off like, Hey, I love you. And it doesn't sound as genuine, but it, we do mean it. It's just, like I said, there's so much pain there and it, it's really hard to just scream from the mountaintops. But then if you see, obviously if they were to die or something really bad were to happen to you or to them, it would be very easy for you to say everything you want to say. And that's, that's something I've tried to change in my life as a person who's been through so much. I'm trying to not wait to someone's dead or, or really injured or something tragic happens to them for me to go, I love you. And I care about you. Like I want to show them and, and let them understand that because you know, there's a lot of shit I'm working out in my own head that is really just on me, even though I didn't deserve those things. I still have to figure a way to cope with it. You know, like you said, with the growth, I'm trying to grow from everything I've been through and, and turn it into a positive so that I'm not like the, you know, the, the miserable, horrific people that did what they did to me. Um, I'm trying to be a better person so that people understand like, yeah, I do love you. Like I, or I do care about you and not just cause I buy you something or just because I say it, it you can feel it. And I, you know, I, it bothers me sometimes because I, I know sometimes I'm not the happy go lucky person that I want to be or, or whatever. And, and it's hard, but you know, you just, you just, you cope with it and, and you just try again next time. 
Can I can I take you through a little journey? Sure. So if you're going back to your six, seven, eight-year-old self <clears throat> and you're feeling the feelings that you felt being bullied by the adults and screwed over by the adults and being treated like, you know, like shit from them. And, you know, you know what you were trying to relate to your mom and you felt a certain way because it wasn't being understood or received the way it really needed to be. And if, if, if you can connect yourself today with that little boy, <clears throat> do you, can you feel the love that you were looking for? Um, you know, it's weird that you say that because my grandma just sent me a picture of me opening up a uh, Easter basket and, and my response to her was, wow, look at, look at that innocence. And, and I joked with her, like, you know, she said, well, what took your innocence away? And I said, the first time I saw a girl naked, but you know, the reality is like the world just kicked me around so much and, and it took me so long, like with you, it took me so long to actually sit and think of everything I've been through. Even when I, when I talk about being molested, it took me until my like mid twenties. It happened to me when I was like six, but it, it took me to my mid twenties for me to actually, you know, have that face it. Yeah. To face and have that recurring thought in my head. And I'm like, I sat there on the steps and I was just like, Oh my God, I was molested in school. And I just like, it, it, but it didn't, I mean, yeah, I guess it, again, the older I get, I also don't know how much this stuff had an impact on me because it just, it was just there and it's floating around. Um, but yeah, right. But yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's why I was asking, like, if you could feel that, that boy that was looking for that love and that comfort now that you're an adult and you understand what that is, to want and need and the ability to give is that you can give that love to yourself. What you were looking for and seeking from or for whatever you were seeking, um, you have the ability to give that to yourself because now you have the capacity to understand what it is. You were looking for something you didn't know what it was. You just knew that it was something you needed. But today you know what it was, what, how you needed it, and you have the ability to do that. Yeah. You have to love yourself. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like I said, I'm a lot better with it. I'm just speaking out loud and, and obviously because a lot of our stuff is so parallel. Uh, parallel, yeah. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying because I had to get to that place too where, you know, and I, I mean, there was many times that, of course, I wanted to say, you know, I'm a, I'm a victim. I'm, I'm a victim. I'm a victim of, you know, being abandoned by my mom. I'm a victim of being abused by my dad. I'm a victim of, you know, the, so many different things, you know, and I, at some point it's like, you know, I knew that I was missing out on love too, you know, but, but it's like, as you get older and you start to like, try to un, unravel all this stuff, you're like, okay, how can I miss something I never had? Yeah. You know, is it just an illusion? Is it a desire? It's just, I think it's something that I want. I think it, this is what it's supposed to be. It's, it's, it's your creativity. You're creating, we are creating a definition to a word and we're locking it in. Right. And I think that's unfair to us and unfair to the person that's giving, that's trying their best to love us. Yeah, for sure. No, absolutely. You know, and for everybody, not just, you know, them, us, us, them, you know, not everybody, just equal, you know, because I, when I, when I think about that with my daughter, you know, there's times, like I said, she thought that I was being sarcastic in the beginning and I was almost like 
not even going to stop. I was just not even going to entertain trying anymore if that was the feedback I was getting. Because I'm like, well, what the heck am I trying for if you're just going to laugh and think that I'm joking or being sarcastic? Now you're hurting my feelings because I'm being super vulnerable, you know? And, um, and now it's like I say to her, you know, like, listen, you know, there's times that you're not going to like what, you know, my opinion is or what I think or where I stand or whatever the case. And that's just you don't have to accept it. You just need to respect it because that's the that's what it boils down to when you're an adult and you love each other unconditionally. Yeah, for sure. You know, and, and, and when I heard you earlier talking about your grandma in her house and you were saying that you know you kind of relate to you know my daughter wanting that love and I'm over here more relating to your grandma like hell yeah nine kids in, in a house damn straight it has to be like on point you know by the clock you you know what time it is you have to do this you have to do that because can you imagine if it was chaos how would there be order yeah no no I, I completely understand what she went through it's just as a person like I said she passed it on to my mom then it went to me yeah and I'm just a person it's like look I just I just want love I, I really I just because you know, I'm you know I'm, I'm really one of those cheesy people that's like can we all just get along even though I know that's not possible but it, it really it does suck because it, it's you know I'm, I'm I've and I but I've broken a lot of chains that's in my family because again I am more open I am more into other cultures and other things and I try to expand just my knowledge and, and just everything I'm into. So, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, like I said, I take the good and the bad with them. But, uh, yeah, I com- I also understand. Like I said, you know, I don't know oh, what it's yeah. like to be completely poor and, and live with that. I, I get it. I just, you know, so many years have passed. And like I said, at some point I try to, you know, bring them on board. with just like, hey, you know, just please, let's be a little more loving and affectionate because at some point, you know, we'll, there's some times where it's like, hey, how about like my mom will come up from Philly um, and I live more, I live near my grandma, but, but I'm like, mom will come up and I'm like, Hey, let's just play some cards and let's just stay up a little later. And they're all like, well, my bedtime is nine. I'm like, yeah, but how many more times do we have this where we're all together and we're spending time? We're just having fun. You know, my mom's in her sixties. My grandma's in, my grandma just turned 90. So it's like, can we just enjoy, I get it. Maybe we're a little tired and I'm tired, but can we just stay a little longer? Let's enjoy each other and, and just not <laughs> argue and, you know, let's just appreciate what we the moment right now, and and I'm, that's where I'm, I'm as an adult, as I'm trying to just enjoy the moment more. I'm trying to really just appreciate everything I do have, and not focus on what I don't. And I do, I still go backwards sometimes. I really do, but I, I you know, um, that's human. Yeah, but it's human. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, I know we're we're going positive, and we have to go back negative one more time because I, I do want to get to what you're what you're doing today. Um, cause you're in a much better place, but can you talk about like when you were in the hospital and all that and like how you got there and, and you know, everything that happened? I'm sure did, um, I'm not sure that I share that I had surgeries after, no, um, no. Oh, okay. You said it to me off so, air, but not on here. Okay. So, um, I, I first want to say then that, you know, the, the physical, ramifications that I suffered from saving our lives that night. Um, it was gradual. <clears throat> it took a while to catch up to me. And that's probably because I was still so much on the go, go, go. Um, but about eight years after that evening, um, <clears throat> I was just starting to have like a lot of physical problems. And I went to the doctor to see, you know, what the heck was going on. And my neck that I used as a kickstand to, you know, get him off of me. Um, I had, I had three herniated bulging discs in my neck. 
and I needed to have a major surgery. Um, they had to take bone marrow out of a different place in my body and infuse that into my neck. I did not realize how severe of a surgery it was um, till years later, but um, that was that was the beginning. And then literally two and a half years later, um, I needed to have hip surgery because again, that was the body part that I used to thrust him off of me. <clears throat> and it wasn't a complete repair. I'm sorry, it wasn't a complete replacement. It was a repair. So for those that has had a rotator cuff repair, it's the same exact thing in your hip. And um, as you know, with the, with the shoulder, you know, you can't lift anything. It has to stay in a sling. And as you know, in your hip, there's no such thing. <laughs> right, right. So, um, so the first surgery I had, um, you know, um, I developed blood clots. It was, it was a hassle and which prolonged the second surgery cause I needed it on both sides. <clears throat> and so I, I had to wait for the, um, blood clots to dissipate and believe it or not, I asked the doctor to not put me on blood thinners, but to allow me to holistically, um, get rid of them. And he looked at me, he thought I was a little, you know, sideways with that request, but he honored it. And I can tell you that, you know, I did a lot of Chinese, uh, traditional Chinese medicine research um, after my neck surgery because they had me on so many prescription drugs that I ended up having, um, I ended up having developing different, different problems and being put on so many different prescriptions. And I just, it was a really bad, bad time. And um, <clears throat> when I had these hip surgeries, I knew that I was not going to go down that same road. I wanted to take as less medication as possible. And so oxygen, oxygen, um, oxygen will thin your blood. It will help your blood go through the, the veins faster than um, and, and go through the veins that it would normally not be able to go through because of how coagulated your blood is. Your oxygen will heal your organs. Oxygen is also heals your brain. There's so much research that you can do on the benefits of bringing extra oxygen into your body. <clears throat> so I was able to eliminate five blood clots by breathing. Okay. Wow. <laughs> and um, so I was ready for my next surgery. So we're working on surgery number three now. And uh, when I had that surgery, it was almost a week later that I was just complaining about being in so much pain. And so they, they checked me again and the anchors that were used to hold in the, you know, the, the wire to, to, that wired me together had torn through my tissue. So I needed to have another one. So we're talking about three surgeries for the hips and one major surgery, um, on the neck and that was all from that night of <clears throat> having that adrenaline flow through me and become this um you know physically strong individual and so for those that are listening that have had you know some trauma in the past physically from defending or going through some things you know if you're dealing with physical ailments you might want to recall that moment in your life and see if that is associated to it because it definitely could be it's not just something that happens out of nowhere all the time yeah okay 
So <clears throat> then I will um, fast forward to last year. It was just 2021. And um, I was I was actually getting ready to have another surgery because I have bone spurs on my jaw from it's trauma driven. It's just a response that our bodies have when we have dealt with so much trauma. And so here I am, you know, it's like eight years later, nine years later, 10 years later, 14 years later, 15 years, you know, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, are you are you kidding me? Like, I'm still dealing with the effects from, you know, so long ago. Um and so I was on my way home and I had just picked up soup uh, from, you know, this place around the corner. And when I was going around the bend, the soup was falling off of the passenger seat. So I went to go grab it. It was just a knee jerk reaction. I did not want the soup to spill in the car. Mm. And um, when I did that, I lost control of the vehicle. Um, my body went to the right and my left hand that was on the steering wheel you know, just by natural, whatever, it, it jerked the wheel to the left. Thankfully, I did not hit anybody or hurt anybody. Nobody was impacted other than my than me. Um, but I hit a tree dead on. And um, I have so many pictures of the car and the, the gentleman that actually was literally 20 seconds away from, from, you know, from that happening. And he was a paramedic. And he got out and checked on me and he held my head up until the ambulance got there. The man saved my life. I spent over an, like three hours talking to him on the, you know, the day of the trauma anniversary, I call it, um, you know, just, just to thank him. Cause I, I got the police report and I read everything that was on there and, you know, it was just, it was just amazing because he himself said that, you know, I knew that if I did not hold your head up to keep your airway open, you were not going to make it. Your, I knew your lungs were collapsed. I knew that your ribs were broken. You know, I could see your skull. Um, you know, I, I, I knew that you had a broken ankle. He's like, I assessed all that on my own, you know. And um, then I ended up telling him, I said, you know, I had a 1% chance of making it. They did not think I was going to make it at all. The day that they were taking me in for my last surgery, you know, the machines were breathing for me. I was not breathing on my own. Right. Um, you know, and, and the trauma surgeon came in every day and told me, you had 1%. We're not only are we writing a white paper about your clinical case here, um, but you need to go buy a lottery ticket, which I haven't done yet. <laughs> mm. You know, um, but just, you know, the only thing that I remember is I woke up for like one second. I remember impact. And then I remember waking up for like one second and I felt scissors cutting my clothes open. And then I just, it's all I remembered. I don't, I, I cannot remember when I woke up. Um, you know, I was so drugged up. I mean, I had multiple surgeries. I mean, my my foot was broken. My hip was fractured. My back was broken. My neck was broken. My ribs were shattered. My, my, um, lungs were collapsed and my liver went through my diaphragm and it went through the diaphragm so brutally that it was suctioned in there. And that's where they were giving me that 1% because my diaphragm was elevated and the liver, once it's damaged, you're pretty much done. And, uh, they had no idea what condition my liver was in because it was suctioned in the diaphragm. Mm -hmm. 
So um, they had to obviously open half of my cavity <laughs> to get in there. And um, I couldn't even, I couldn't even get out of the bed. Obviously, I, I don't even remember how long it took me before I got out of the bed. I just remembered having to, you know, cry and ask people, you know, can you please give me a sponge bath? Can I please, you know, can you please give me a straw? Can you, it was, it was the most humbling experience I could ever imagine anybody having. Um, and all that, you, you know, still spilled the soup. For the damn soup, yeah. let the shit fall, whatever the hell it is, let it fall, yeah. you know? And, <laughs> and I mean, the pain to even sit up, let alone stand up, you know, my whole body was dependent on the, on the hip that was broken because my whole right side was broken, everything from, you know, foot to skull. Um, so my left hip was all that I had, but that was the, the side that got broken from hitting the steering wheel so hard. I couldn't even lift my, my left hand, my arm up, like with nothing in it. I could, I could not. I had to learn every single thing over again. I mean, I couldn't even lift the water to bring it to my mouth. You know, it was, it was just really, um, really eye opening. I would have to say that, you know, I knew that my life was spared. I knew that, you know, I was extremely drugged up and I didn't really, I really wasn't in my right mind. I I could honestly say that I feel that I was, I can't, I don't want to say outside of my body. I was just in a different dimension, you know, like I remember so much and I remember the crew at the hospital. They loved me. They were like, this doesn't even feel like I'm at work. I love coming in your room. <laughs> like, you know, sometimes when some of the nurses were supposed to be doing something with me, I was like, girl, let's just talk about recipes. Okay. What do you want to talk about? You know, like we would literally like have girl time or powwow time <laughs> mm -hmm. in my, in my hospital bed. And, um, you know, it was, it was the, my spirit and, you know, the, 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 um, the response that I got, you know, from everybody that, that worked on me and with me and, you know, checked on me every hour, you know, it just, it just, it, it gave me more strength. It gave me more, it felt like it was giving me more purpose, you know? I mean, obviously I was fighting for my life, not just for my life, but for my kids, you know, I mean, they're so, they're still so young. I don't want them to be without a mom, you know? And that was, <clears throat> that was a big fight, internal fight as well. And, I'm here to tell you that I'm still supposed to be in rehab to this day. Right now I am still supposed to be in rehab and I have been walking and driving again and, you know, able to pretty much take on day-to-day -day activities. I still have a lot of limitations, but I am trying to get back to, you know, whatever normal is these days and um, use, use the, my experience and the brain that I have to really help others. I, I just want people to know that there is a way, you know, to, to get over the trauma, that there's a way to talk to yourself, that there's a, there's a way to provide affirmations to yourself, to give yourself that love, to trust yourself again, to, you know, be able to respond to the triggers by identifying them. And, you know, the a few of the things that I talk about is, you know, mirror work, 
You know, if you can look at yourself in the mirror and, you know, before you even look at yourself in the mirror, ask yourself, you know, what, what do I say to myself when I look in the mirror? Do I talk shit to myself? Am I proud of myself? Do I smile? Do I frown? Do I get out? Do I get out of the mirror? You know, is it my enemy? Is it my friend? Is it my, you know, controller? Like, you know, what, what relationship, what type of relationship do you have with the mirror? Because the mirror is the only time you see yourself. Yeah. The only time. Yeah, and you're, you're so you spend twenty four hours with yourself, so you you know you're constantly indulging on all your good and bad habits, and you know you kind of have to go through that whole gamut of emotions with yourself. You have to hate yourself a little bit. You have to be happy. You have to you got to go through all of it because then you kind of tell you kind of really balance and figure out who you are. Um, cause exactly. You can't just think you're perfect all the time, or you can't just you can't just hate yourself all the time. But you gotta have, you know. Again, there's there's just so many. You just run through all the emotions, and just it, it happens. And it, it, it's life. But yeah, the way you appreciate yeah. it is just you know go through, have the whole you know TV show montage of just everything you've been through, and and you know again, there's gonna be stuff you're proud of. There's stuff you're gonna hate yourself for. We all have moments where you want to go back in time and just punch that version of ourselves. But we also have times where we go like, okay, I was a really good person in that time. Or I really, you know, this is like, like I said, you can self-reflect. And if you can self-reflect and look at yourself and go, look at everything I've been through. I'm still here. I can still smile somehow. I can still give love to other people. I still want to give back. Um, and like I said, you, you should just be another monster out there doing horrible things. But you have, you do every, give every opportunity just to do something good for not only yourself, but your kids and other people. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, Oh yeah. I could have been checked out a long time ago and been probably like, <laughs> nobody would have been mad at me because I was checked out. They all would have understood, but yeah, no, that's, that's not who I am. That's not the, that's not how I'm built. You know, it, it, it really isn't because those are, those are basically the choices. Are you going to live or are you going to, you know, kill yourself. And, and I don't mean murder yourself as in your stop breathing. I'm talking about killing yourself mentally, killing yourself emotionally, killing yourself physically. You know, if you're constantly negative, you're killing your mind. Your mind is not wired to be that way, you know, and physically speaking, you know, that just causes so many medical issues. You know, you can be killing yourself in so many different ways. Spiritually, your spirit can be broken and dead because of how you believe in yourself. So one of the things that I like to say also is that, you know, when you are talking to yourself, you know, ask yourself, would you let anybody else talk to you like that? Or would you talk to somebody that you love like that? Would you talk to your best friend like that? Or whoever it is that you love, would you talk to them like that? And if the answer is no, then why the hell are you talking to yourself like that? There's enough people outside your world, outside your house that will probably have something to say like that. You know, it's not for you. Yeah. Sometimes it's just easier to, cause you don't want people to see you and your worst and you wouldn't treat people that way, but sometimes you have such self-hatred for yourself that you, you, you know, or you do have a, even if you have hatred for other people, maybe you just, you're too shy or whatever. And you just, the only way you know how to get it out is just take it out on yourself. It's not healthy, but we've all done it. And you know, it's obviously completely unhealthy, but, but where, but where, so, so where would the hatred for yourself come from? Is that coming from guilt, imperfection, the things that we said that perfection is not of humans anyways, nobody is perfect. So you hate yourself because you messed up because you made a mistake. Maybe it was the liberal, um, you know, but it was, if you're not that same person, 
and you hate yourself because of what you did, but you're not that same person, you know, then it's like, okay, that was a moment. You already, how long are you going to allow yourself to beat yourself up? Right. You know, like there has to be an end date. You have to have an end date, even if it's, you know, not necessarily, you're not necessarily going to meet the end date per se, but as long as it's there, you know that you're striving towards that. Yeah. Right. I'm, you know, you know because if you, yeah, no, sorry, I was just, go just going to say like for, for me, like one of the things that I, I struggled with for a long time was just being out in this crazy dating world and dating people. And after a while, there's all this ghosting and obviously you got the typical cheating and all that stuff. But so much happens where you don't have any closure and, and enough happens or enough people do the same thing you start to go, you because again, if they disappear and they block your number and all that, you can't tell them how you feel. So now you're sitting and stewing with your own problems. And if it happens multiple times, you start to go, well, I guess I'm the problem. Even if you're not, you start to go, oh, okay, you must be the problem because 10 people did it. And why would 10 people all have the same opinion? We're all different, right? And, and yeah, and that's, that's kind of how, as an example, how it spins out of control and you start to self-reflect in, in a negative way because you use again because your your brain really can out you have to kind of stay ahead of your brain and your brain knows it has constant evidence of why you know something should go a certain way especially in the negative sense your brain can it has all this evidence and sometimes when you're at your worst you don't have the strength or even the knowledge at the time to to pull up evidence to combat what your brain is throwing at you so you just like you're just stewing in this mental filth of oh i guess i suck and you know, when you're strong enough, you're like, all right, brain, shut up. This is why I'm great. Or this is, you know, this is why this <laughs> happened the way it is. This girl is, you take, you break them down as separate entities and this is why this happened and so on. But when you're at your worst, you don't, or at your low points, you start to just go, yeah, I, I just suck. You're right. You're right. You're right, brain. Just continue to kick me around because I suck. I'm uglier. I'm, I'm this. And, and you know, it, it, again, that's, that's why life experiences really you learn so much from, especially from the bad, because you realize like what the bottom is and how far you actually come. Cause you think about you even just as a girl from Chicago living in a bad neighborhood, which girls who are constantly roaming around on the streets fighting don't make it very long these days in, in any major mm -hmm. city like that, or even in certain countries, but in, in, in Chicago alone, I mean, you know, for people who don't know, Chicago is pretty much the murder capital of the country at this point, And it wasn't for a long mm -hmm. time. And the, <laughs> yeah. the reason why it has the nickname Chirac is because more people die in Chicago than Iraq. That's where the name comes mm -hmm. from. And it's like, I mean, there's many documentaries, but there's a lot of this drill music that comes out of it. And it's just people disrespecting the dead. And, and there's, there's no, I mean, I see videos all the time from Chicago, just people beating old people and, and, and women. And, and again, this happens beyond just Chicago, but we're explaining from where you come from. And it, it's, you know, there's great parts of Chicago. You can see where the Cubs play and you can see a lot of the nice restaurants and all that, but that's a different, that's the different side of Chicago. There's, there's a, yeah, huge part sure. that a lot of people don't want to, you know, explore because it is not a place you want to live. And, but for some, like just, that's just the beginning of your story of all the abandonment and the fact that you can get out of that. And you're, like I said, you're still standing. I mean, that's, like I said, as a woman and living in Chicago, like that, that's, that just that part of your story alone, take out the rest of it for you to just be able to just escape that when so many women, so many people forget women, just guys and so many just young children are dying on a daily basis in that city. Um, oh yeah, in broad daylight at the park, it's so sad. I mean, right now, 
Yeah, on video. And whatever the heck is going on these past couple of years, people are just shooting randomly on the expressway, people driving to and from work, like just random shots on the expressway, people dying in their car. Yeah, children, like there's people that are not intended targets. It, it's That's know, right. I mean, people look at a lot of like war as Mexico where people are hanging the police from the uh, the bridges and stuff. Maybe it's not that bad. But it's bad enough, and it's to the point where they want to call the the, the national guard. And it seems like every month, and it, it. Yeah. But it's it's you know I mean that we we can go on that forever. How the country doesn't care about stuff like that because it's it's a racial thing, and there's a lot of stuff proponents that go into it. But again, really sure. based around you, like I said, that that part of your story alone would be a story just to tell, and and how much you overcame because it's it's like I said, from living in Philly, even being a white boy living in Philly, you know. And being visually impaired. Sure, I got made fun of all the time, but I knew enough people in those areas, like my Spanish cousins and stuff, where no one really messed with me. But if I didn't know those people, I would have gotten mm-hmm. my ass kicked every day because mm-hmm. I knew how hard it was. I was around it enough to experience, and I've seen dead bodies. I've seen, you know, bullet casings and, and you know, dogs fighting and all these things that you don't want to see as a child. It just seems like the norm. But, you know, I got to get away from it more so. Um, but, you know a lot of people live that reality and, and like I said, it's great that you were able to escape and and it kind of went to a different direction here, but it's, you know, like I said, there's so much that you have to, that you've grown from. That's kind of the whole purpose of the the episode is showing how much you've grown from that little girl who was lost and just fighting for survival and for food and everything. And to now where, yeah, maybe physically you aren't in the best shape, but mentally and, and, and just, you know, where you are, like you're probably more standing on solid ground than you've ever been. And, you know, that's a testament to everything. I would like to think so. (laughs) I would like to think so. I appreciate that. And I'll, I'll be honest, like, I feel like my life was spared to do exactly what I'm doing right now. Um, you know, I really, truly feel in, in my bones, you know, and of course I asked both of my kids, you know, if I had their blessing, because of course, you know, my youngest would be hearing about, you know, what I went through while, you know, I was pregnant, you know, and, um, you know, that during, I got the blessings from my children, they're good mentally and emotionally. So I have, that's, that's all I cared about was their, their blessing. And, um, you know, I have since, since being in the hospital, actually, I've been working on, you know, how do I deliver not so much my story, but I mean, I guess my story, how do I deliver it in such a way that people can relate and can say like, oh my gosh, you know, I understand because I've been there and I'm talking more on the domestic violence side, you know, because the statistics are one out of three. There's so many women that, and men that have been exposed to or experienced a form of domestic violence that has impacted them on such a level. And, you know, I, um, have developed a formula. It's called the be your incredible self formula. It's applying situational awareness, you know, which you just said you had obviously growing up, you know, in the not so great neighborhood, you have to have situational awareness. Otherwise yeah. your ass is grass. Right. Hell yeah. You hear, a um, there's a guy at work that always tried to scare me all the time. And I'm like, dude, that doesn't work. I mean, you can get me when I'm like deep in thought, but I'm like, the reason why you can't scare me is because again, being visually impaired and white walking around certain neighborhoods, I heard a leaf. I turned around immediately. Like it might've been, Hello. A leaf, <laughs> but I don't trust heard it. anybody. So yeah, yeah, but go ahead. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. So, so the formula is like applying situational awareness and combining it with emotional intelligence 
to meet your intended outcome because your power lies in how you respond, not how you react. Reacting means you're not thinking, you're just knee-jerking reacting. So if you can apply situational awareness and combine it with emotional intelligence, you will more than likely really be able to meet your outcome, whatever that may be, you know, based on your situation, whatever you're looking for. And so I've developed some programs, you know, I have like, um, I do, first of all, I'm a certified high performance coach through the high performance Academy that Brendan Burchard runs. Um, so I actually use his 12 pillars of life as my foundation. And then I put my own experience and wisdom, emotional intelligence and mirror work on top of that foundation. I combine it all together. So whoever joins my class or does one-on-one coaching, they will not just get, you know, how to get through or thrive beyond the trauma, but they will also be getting that foundation of becoming so aware, you know, of everything that they have and feel so confident, full of energy and in control and love taking action. You know, that's what high performers do. Um, he's a phenomenal teacher and the science is backs it all up on how high performers think and how they achieve things based on, you know, their mindset. And so if I can bring that high level down to the, the, the normal people like us, <laughs> you know, I just think that that's already, you know, advancing, then we, we will already advance and the transformation will not be as difficult. And so you know, I do offer a, a, a couple, a few of those programs. Um, and then I'm also, I'm also starting a nonprofit. I have a full program that is ready to go as soon as the IRS gives me the um, non-exempt, um, it's not non-exempt, my exemption letter. As soon as I'm deemed uh, 501c3, then I can, I can activate. <laughs> so basically right now, the only state that I am fully activated in is Nevada. Um, which is interesting because Nevada is, I believe, the third ranked state for domestic violence. And so what my nonprofit is offering is to relocate um, people with children that are in a real time situation and need to leave for safety. Um, So my program is to help you relocate with your child or children without having to leave your belongings behind and start with nothing. So I'm also collaborating with some other nonprofits that actually help with um, career development. If you had to leave your job for safety and you're starting your life over again, there's a nonprofit that that has different trainings available where you actually graduate with a certification and the ability to start a different career. So I'm really, really networking my tail off because I believe that Again, that this is why my life was spared. People need to hear the story that, you know, shit happens. It's a chapter in your life. It's not your book. You have control of what you want the book to be. You may not be able to control all the shit that comes with it. You know, um, who is it? Um, Oh, Denzel Washington. He says, you pray for rain, but you forget that the mudslides come with it. You know, (laughs) you you know, you just deal with what comes, but not losing focus off the goal or the prize or what it is that you're working towards, you know? And, um, I just, I just 
really want everybody to know that, you know, give your unconditional love to your, to you first, the way that you love your parents or your siblings or your best friend or your children, you have to give that same unconditional love to yourself, you know? And that's, that's the way that you feel confident. That's how you, you know, trust yourself. That's where you eliminate not all, but most of those negative affirmations of those doubts that you're having or those questions that you go back and forth with, you know? Yeah. Do you have a a website? um, I'm actually working on it. So my website is going to be uh, right now. It's a bootleg website. I'm not going to lie. Okay. It's homemade, but I'm working on a different one. I'm going to transfer it. But the, but the domain will be the same. It's be your incredible self.com. And that's all spelled one word and all correct words. Be your incredible self.com. And then my nonprofit, the name for the nonprofit is confronting domestic violence. And that will also be um, all spelled properly, but there will be a dash in between the words. So it'll be confronting dash domestic dash violence.org. So for my nonprofit, I'll I'll get the links from you and I'll put them all in there so they, they can see it. Oh, perfect. Yes. Okay. Perfect. Because so the nonprofit is for real time, you know, victims and my be your incredible self are for those that have already moved out, but looking to move on, you know, moving out is the, you know, society says you haven't moved on yet. You'd be like, move on. Yeah. I'm not in there anymore. Like, don't get it twisted. Moving on is like the physical aspect of same equivalent to moving out. <laughs> you know, it's how you move on mentally, emotionally, you know, spiritually and with yourself because you're a new person. Oh yeah. Yeah. It, it's kind of like a snake. You just peel, you peel certain layers off of you and eventually you just, you just grow again. Um, yeah, it, it happens. Um, yeah. Do we cover everything? I mean, it's been over two days, so I, I want to feel like we did, but if there's anything else, please add. Oh, it's so funny. Um, I mean, I mean, I, I shared a lot of my life. I mean, if you ever want to go into any part of it deeper, I'm, you know, more than open to doing that. Um, you know, probably not on this call. I think, I think we did a good job concluding it, but you know, in future, if you want to do anything based on any of those things, I mean, there's probably so much I didn't even cover, you know, like when we're talking about Chicago, like I did not, I, I, you know, it's not part of my story. It's just giving you the, the um, environment, but man, please walking out the house and seeing what you see on the rooftops, on the corners in front of you, you know, I mean, you need to dress to a certain way. Otherwise your colors or your, the way your hat is cocked or the way you're walking is going to identify you you know, as the enemy. Right. Yeah. That's a lot of things people don't really understand. Hell no, they don't. Are you kidding me? Right. But, uh, you know, my thing is I can go anywhere. Like, literally, I was in, in Greensboro earlier this year. And, um, you know, it was not the best neighborhood. I walked in the gas station, got what I needed to get, you know. And I and there were people that were looking at me, you know. The Greensboro wasn't really, you know, light-skinned people. And um, as soon as I feel somebody looking at me, I'm going to look at you right in the eye. I'm going to say hello. And I'm going to make sure you know that I saw you and that I don't fear you. Yeah. Yeah. That's because the second you show some type of fear, that's it. You're, you're a target. Yeah. You're the gazelle at the watering hole. Hmm. You're just waiting to be, you know, plucked off. 
exactly. Yeah, no, we can definitely do some another time. Uh, I just appreciate you being so honest and sharing your story because not a lot of people would be as honest as you are. I mean, it's I know it. It takes a lot to do that. It takes a while to even get yourself in a headspace where you're like, yes, I'm going to share my whole life and put it out there for the world. (laughs) And I appreciate you. Yeah. And I appreciate you catching on, uh, catching on to when I was getting choked up and you kind of took over because there was some point I'm like, Oh oh, shit. (laughs) I mean, I'm here for you. Yeah. I know. I I mean, look, you've been through a lot. It's hard not to be, I mean, it's hard not to be emotional, but it's great that you still have that because you can be very desensitized to everything you've been through. And that's, I mean, that's kind of what, that whole conversations with your daughter, like it took you a while to realize like, okay, I have to show love too. I can't just be protective all the time and constantly tell her what to do. And and so the fact that you have all this emotion, all this, this whole time is great because again, you could just be numb and and just go fuck it. uh, Whatever. Like, Oh my gosh. And something that you said, I was like, I was dying. I was like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to piggyback off of that. But, but now that we're done with our conversation, I will now. Cause when you were like, yeah. Uh, guys, sorry. I had to kind of end that abruptly. I didn't know when we were going to end it. And sometimes you don't know when you're going to. So she didn't get to say goodbye, but it's implied. Okay. Okay. Um, but yeah, what a great story. And I hope you guys enjoyed it. I really did. It's you know, it was over a two day period. I just, I really wanted to finish her story. We could have, trimmed it down could this, but I really like to let people hear someone the majority of their story what they can tell because you, again you don't know how much someone can go through that and believe that like, you hear a lot of these stories and it sounds like gibberish but they're 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 out there overcoming and I only have me as an example I mean now I have a bunch of people that I've met and stuff but I try to only use me as an example because I don't want to like you know misspeak on someone's story or anything but you know, with her, like she's fantastic and she's went through so much. She's still here and all of it is so relative and just important to, to get out there for anybody who's struggling. You know, there might be some young girl that lives in Chicago right now that's just going through the same thing, doesn't have anybody to count on and all she's got is herself and, you know, she's she hears this and goes, wow, okay, maybe changes the way she thinks. I'm not saying it will. Or anyone's even out there like that, but the fact that there 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 is a chance, you gotta try to help. So trying to do my part. All right, guys, I um I'm gonna see you on the next one, and thank you for joining us on this great show. Thanks, guys. Bye, boy. Oh, I hit the wrong button. Yes, I did. Mm-hmm.